Welcome to the Understanding Society podcast series. In today's podcast, Jenny Chanfreau from Natsen talks about the role of understanding society in a report for the Department of Health on predictors of well-being. Well-being research isn't something that's new. Researchers have been interested in life satisfaction and how people feel about different aspects of their lives for a long time. But recently, measuring and tracking the nation's well-being using a measure of subjective well-being and not just focusing on economic measures like growth in GDP has really attracted a lot of political interest. So well-being has become a big topic more recently in research and policy. And within government departments, we're now seeing an increased interest in tailoring policies to more take into account the things that matter for well-being so that they better understand the key areas that make a difference to people's well-being. Now, when we talk about well-being, I mean, it covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? What specific aspects of it have, have you been looking at and what sorts of people have you been focusing on? Well, we were commissioned by the Department of Health to do a, a topic report examining drivers of subjective well-being uh, using a, a life course approach and using available survey data to do that. The department was interested in the full range of potential predictors, but they did ask um, for us to have a particular focus on the role that uh, is played by health behaviours when other key factors are adjusted for in the analysis, so that really the findings from our report could inform policy across the whole of Department for Health as well as Public Health England, and of course, you know, might have relevance for other departments as well. So to try and focus our project, we chose to look at two time points in childhood, so we looked at age seven using the Millennium Cohort Study. And then we used the youth cohort of Understanding Society to look at 11 to 15 year olds. And then we looked at adults from two different angles. So for the adult analysis, we used the rich data and social relationships, both inside and outside the home, that's collected in Understanding Society so that we could have a look at how these aspects of life are associated with well-being and adulthood. But then we also used Health Survey for England data to look at men and women separately and have a more of a focus on the key aspects of health and um, the sort of health-related behaviours and, and how they're associated with well-being. Now, because we're particularly interested in understanding society, I want to ask you a little bit more about the, the data you used from, from that particular survey. What sorts of things were people asked about? I mean, we can talk separately about both about the youth panel and also adults that, that, that help you start to paint this picture of people's levels of, of, of well-being. We used Understanding Society data for two chapters in our report. So if I talk about the young people first, so this was when they were 11 to 15, and the young people are asked to rate how they feel about different aspects of their lives in Understanding Society. So they're talking about things like uh, how they feel about school, family, friends, and also life as a whole. And because the same questions were asked in both wave one and wave two of Understanding Society, we were able to do some longitudinal analysis. So we were using predictors reported by the young people at wave one while controlling for well-being at wave one to look at their well-being levels a year later at wave two. For the adults, the adults are asked questions that together make up the short Warwick Edinburgh Mental Wellbeing Scale, which is a validated measure of positive well-being. 
as opposed to, say, mental ill health, for example, which is a slightly different concept. And it captures this sort of multidimensionality of subjective well-being better than a, a single item measure. And I think one of the great things about understanding society data is that obviously we know a lot of information about the, the individual respondent, but we also have this rich data about the whole family. So, for example, in addition to the information that the young people themselves reported about how supported they feel by their parents or whether they had ever smoked, how much fruit they eat each day or junk food they eat, we could also tell what the other people in the home were doing and how they were feeling. So in the young people model, we were able to include the mother's subjective well-being score and we found that children's well-being is in fact also affected by their parents' well-being as well as how they feel about different things. So you found then that there are, are, are pretty much three critical points in our lives when well-being seems to take a, something of a dip. Can you talk about that in a little bit more, more detail? We found that levels of well-being in, in older children decrease with age. And, and this is something that the recent Children's Society report also found. They found a, a lowest point among uh, older children around their mid-teens as well, which is what we found so around 14 to 15 years we also found that there's a dip in well-being in adulthood around the midlife mark. So in the Understanding Society analysis, we found significantly lower levels of well-being for 35 to 54-year-olds. And then the Health Survey for England really added a bit more detail to that. So that analysis showed that this seems to differ for men and women. So that the lowest point occurred earlier for men, around the mid-30s to mid-40s mark, but around a decade later for women, so mid-40s to mid-50s. And here we also found that women's well-being also drops off again in later life. Now, we often talk about, and it's one of these subjects that's talked about in the pub, at home, that this, this whole thing about having a midlife crisis, uh, you know, something we even joke about sometimes in, in society. But I, th- I think it's fair to say that your research would, you know, really provide some actual evidence about this very popular or, or at least common topic of conversation. Well, it, it appears that way, but certainly what we can say is that the evidence that we've got is that well-being does markedly drop around the midlife mark and also that this dip remains statistically significant when we're controlling for a whole bunch of other factors so whether the individual is at work or not the quality of their work their physical health whether they have a partner and if so how happy they are in their relationship and we can compare this with the mid-teen dip in well-being that I mentioned earlier so there we also saw a really marked decrease in well-being levels by age But among the young people, when we controlled for other factors like how supported they feel at home, whether there's bullying or disruptive behaviour going on at school, then age is no longer a significant factor in predicting variations in well-being. So for the young people, we can say that other circumstances are explaining the decline in well-being that we see at this age. But with the midlife dip, All we can really say for now is that other than age, we don't know what's driving this decline in in well-being at that time. But I would say that at this point, both the adult understanding society analysis and the analysis we did with Health Survey for England data are cross-sectional analyses. So we might be able to better understand and, and sort of 
better explain what's going on at midlife when more longitudinal well-being data becomes available. So lots of uh, future opportunities there, particularly with understanding society as, as, as more and more waves, more and more people are interviewed over time. This was a report commissioned by the Department of Health. What would you say the takeaway messages were for the, for the department and indeed for government as, as a whole as far as you know, the various sort of policies uh, you know, that, are, that are connected with well-being are con- concerned? The Department of Health, having commissioned the report, they've already using the findings and they've... Um, Pulled, to, uh, pulled out the sort of key messages relevant to different policy teams within the department. Um, but actually our report was published alongside the launch of a, a Change for Life campaign uh, aimed at getting families into healthier habits really again at the restart of the school year in September. And that drew on, on our study's findings. And I think one of the interesting findings is that health behaviours like eating healthily and being active didn't stand out as key predictors of well-being in children, but among adults, a healthier lifestyle was associated with better well-being. Um, So there's a rationale there for taking a sort of long-term perspective and promoting healthy lifestyles really throughout and and from a young age to hopefully impact on well-being in in adulthood. But well-being is, of course, a a cross-cutting theme and and relevant for a wide range of policymakers. And because our report covers both children of different ages as well as adults and a whole range of different topics, I think there are different findings that are relevant for various different government departments and perhaps local areas and schools and employers even, really anyone who's interested in well-being. So just uh, one final example that might be amenable to policy intervention or, or, or changes in, in how things are, are done relate to how well-being is affected by how we spend our time at school and at work. So among adults, for example, we found that being in a job where you don't feel that you're able to cope with the demands was strongly linked with worse well-being, while being satisfied with your job and being satisfied with the amount of leisure time it both linked with better well-being. So employers wanting to improve well-being can really focus on these things, so tackling work-related stress and improving work-life balance. Predicting Wellbeing is a report by Jenny Chanfreau, Cheryl Lloyd, Crystal Spiron, Kyrene Roberts, Rachel Craig, Danielle Defoe and Sally McManus and is available on Natsen's website at www.natsen.ac.uk.